Okay, Galatians 3, 1 to 9. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Father, thank you so much that you arrange for our salvation through faith in the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. Oh my gosh, if we had to save ourselves, can't even go a day without messing up big time, so we'd be lost. So thank you so much for that. We are so grateful. I ask that you please bless Pastor John this morning as he speaks your word to us, that your words can stick in our hearts and our minds and stay with us, showing us again and again how much you love us, how much your grace has meant to us, and how beautiful you are. We ask that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Faith. So as we continue through, um, I'll remind us all of Anthony's teaching last week, and we'll also be nice to him since he and his wife Beth aren't here. Uh, last I saw, were you, were you really disappointed, Scott? Uh, last I saw, they uh, were in their separate hammocks next to Oak Creek, uh, so they got a vacation this week. Um, but last week, he reminded us of our identity that we have in Jesus, that we are crucified with Christ. Uh, it was helpful, and uh, it was a rarity for Anthony because it was shorter. So both things uh, very good. Paul then was showing Jesus, Messiah, as, and Anthony said, our position, our, the point of it all, and our place, that Jesus is home for his followers. And he asked the question, if Jesus isn't my identity, what fills that space? There's a temptation for us all uh, in life to replace Jesus with other lesser gods, idols, or things in our lives. The problem in Galatia that we've seen over and over and over again and been reminded over and over and over again is that their temptation was to warp the simplicity of Jesus alone to Jesus plus customs and laws. Now, we have the same exact struggle today, though it is different in its particularities with the Galatian church. Their temptation was Jesus plus the customs of Moses and the Torah and circumcision. That was the hot button issue for them. Now again, we have the, the same struggle of replacement, Jesus plus other things, Jesus plus religion, uh, but it's the 
particularities that are different. And so this church at this time or this group of churches are a bit lost. They are wandering and have lost their way. So the question is, now what? If Jesus is home, what is the road back for them and for us when we wander? If Jesus is home, how do we get home when we're lost, when we've gone off the path? What is the road back? Well, the Galatian church had strayed from the story, and Paul's given them the the history and the background and the foundational truths of the gospel, and he's moving towards his core argument here in chapters 3, 4, and 5. And he continues in this chapter with some rhetorical questions. I don't know if you picked it up when Faith read it, but we've said multiple times, Paul in this letter is coming in hot. And here he has question after question after question. As I read this text over and over this week, it kind of reminded me uh, of a parent that is just asking your kids a whole, they're on the hot seat, right? Have you kids ever been there where your parents just come in and they ask you a bunch of questions? You're like, wait, which one am I supposed to answer? And they aren't even so much looking for an answer, but proving a point in it all, right? And Paul lays out at least six rhetorical questions that expose their and and really all human tendencies. First, who has bewitched you? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's saying it wasn't a new twist or expression, but a complete perversion of the gospel that they had been given and were beginning to believe in. He he says it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What he's saying is when he came to them and portrayed Christ, it it was simple. It was Jesus and him crucified on their behalf. The way and the path of salvation was clear. The story was laid out. Here's Jesus. Here's the story. Here's what we're called to believe in and follow after. And he gives this interesting metaphor as though they got, I don't know, Harry Pottered. There's this spell cast on them that has led them astray. Second, he says, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or hearing with faith? The obvious answer is by hearing and faith. It wasn't by following after the rules or adhering to the 613 laws of the Torah that they received the Spirit of God. It was through faith. Then verse 3. This one's tough. Are you so foolish? Are are you so dense, dumb, idiotic to, to be led astray in this kind of way? And then another question, yet again, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? If that's not enough, fourth question, did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? He's saying you went through this process, you received pushback, there's been persecution. Was all that for nothing? Are you going to now, having received this free gift of God and the Spirit of God that has knit you together as one family, are you now going to just handle it on your own? Are you going to figure it out all by yourself? And then the sixth. Basically, how has this happened? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracle among you, does he do so by works of the law, hearing of faith? And then he points us to Abraham. So I think what Paul is doing is laying out these questions somewhat as breadcrumbs to lead them back home. 
Or if you go on a hike, you know, there's the stacks of rocks when it's a little bit, they're called cairns, C-A-I-R-N, cairns that kind of lead the way when it's not certainly clear where you're supposed to go, what path you're supposed to take. Paul is asking them these rhetorical questions that have some heat on them to, to shake them out. You guys know in Chronicles of Narnia, I forget which book it is, there's a character, Puddleglum. Where's Lincoln? Is Lincoln his silver chair? Yeah. And, and Puddle Glum is this kind of marsh wiggle, right? And he's a grumpy sort of character, but his, his role is, is kind of, uh, he's stepping on the fire and putting out the smoke to, to relieve them of the spell they're under, right? And he's not, he, he's not best friend kind of material. <laughs> he's, he's a grump, right? And, and it seems a little bit, perhaps, Paul is kind of in a Puddle Glum type role, mood here with all these questions. He's going, there's been this spell cast on you. You've lost your way. You're believing a lie. So he comes in and goes, how has this happened? And he points them back to the genesis of their faith and the history of the story of God. He's leading them back home. He's demonstrating that when any people, and for them specifically, when they exchange the truth of God for lies, the result is that they live into lesser substitute stories. You see, it is stories for us as humanity. There's something wired within our DNA that we only make sense of the world through stories. It's stories that shape us, sustain us, and make sense of our lives. And again, humans are hardwired for this, for story. And so the battle in society all throughout the ages is who gets to tell the story? Which story is the best story? The, the cultural wars that we find ourselves in the midst of today, it's just a battle of stories. Who gets to tell the best, most compelling story? And you know, if there's anybody that understands this in our world today, one of the, the, the people that clued into this most over the last 20 plus years is Bob Iger, who is the CEO of Disney. Uh, he understood when he took over Disney in 2005, he understood the rapid changes that were coming with technology and where Disney was at. You can read uh, his biography of that time. It's called Ride of a Lifetime. He shares some of what he implemented within Disney. And, and what he understood is it is the best stories that drive a business forward. So if you didn't know, Bob Iger is the guy who acquired Pixar. He said, they're telling good stories. Let's buy them $7 billion later. He goes, Marvel, they're telling more compelling stories. Let's buy them. Uh, Star Wars, people seem to like them and that story as well. Let's buy them. So what Bob Iger did was basically accumulate the world's best stories in that time. And he says this, being a successful, effective storytelling engine. See that language? That's what he sees Disney as. And if a successful, so there's a insane amount of money associated with it, effective storytelling engine is a business model that has been changed by an area of technology disruption. What was very, very clear to me is that technology would provide us the opportunity to tell more stories to more people, hence Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, and now Disney Plus to disseminate this everywhere. As the, the stories of culture go, so go the people. And so what we see today in the last, I don't know, couple months, the 
stories of beer brands, Disney, Target over the last couple weeks, and a lot of politics is the attempt to tell and capitalize on a different story, a different narrative. Here's life, how it works best, here's what we're gonna celebrate, this is the story. And it's really interesting to see when pushback comes and that threshold that they seem to be hitting against in the last, I don't know, few months. The disruptions and battles that we're seeing are new to us and yes, are strange and alarming in different ways, but it's as old as the garden. It all, all goes back to the, the question, did God really say, and with that shift comes another story, a, a story of rebellion and repercussions, right? Every sin, every surrogate lesser story starts with the question, did God really say, let's create a different reality, okay? And what is interesting to me is to know how God engages humanity once they've gone into a different story. Well, once they sin, once they rebel, once the fall happens, notice how God engages them. He asks them questions. He says, where are you? Is there hiding? And I don't think it's because God didn't know where they were, but he wanted to reveal something in them. Where are you? Next question, who told you? Then he goes to, what's this you've done? We think God would just jump to, what have you done? You broke the rules. That's not where he starts. He gets there, but he starts out with revealing something more about their heart, their trajectory, and what they're believing. Where are you? Why are you hiding? What's this shame that is covering you? Who told you? God realizing, I gave you life, flourishing, and boundaries, and this story to live within in relationship to him and one another, this shalom, this peace, this harmony. Somebody else told you a different story. Who was that? Where did it come from? Then, what have you done? And the repercussions fall from there. But there's really no more beautiful and piercing questions in that moment of their of their sin, of their shame. The way back home begins with an honest assessment of those questions for anyone. They lead us, they guide us, they root us, and they ground us both in truth and love today. God's questions don't bring shame. They bring clarity and freedom when we answer them honestly. Where are you? Who told you? And what have you done? Where are you? Who told you? What have you done? They lead us, guide us, root us, ground us in truth and love today. And notice, much of what we're fed today on all sides is responsive anger, reactivity, no compelling alternative, and a whole lot of shame when it comes to all the stories of the world. Like the, the temperature, today is let's all be on edge all the time. Let's all be upset at everything all the time. There's such, and especially in this faux online social media type world in existence, there's no, there's very little peace, joy, presence, love. It's just, ah, 
Some of you engage in social media really well. Where's Lynn? You. Dodgers, hiking, joy. And, what, and you share the church's social media posts sometimes. You, a plus from me today. <laughs> the rest of you all, um, Lynn's going to teach a, a class of how, how to. But, but this is the temperature of where we're at, how we live. And I think God would be leading us back home, which would be calm, aware, prayerful, and present today. Asking these questions of ourselves, interacting with the world, where are we hiding, who told us, what have we done? And, and rather than gearing into like just a work harder, do better, be more moral type thing, there's this deeper well that God is asking us to draw the waters of life from in his spirit. You see, in Galatia, there's religion. In our world, there's both religion and, and rebellion. And, and underneath it all is a lie that would tell us that we're better off on our own or taking things in our own hands. Like, isn't that the core in the garden is you can be your own God. You can choose your own truth. You can carve out your own path. And that's what was happening in Galatia is Jesus plus religion. Jesus plus adherence to circumcision in the Torah. And these questions, as Paul asks them, these six rhetorical questions, they're meant to re-engage their hearts and, and trace out the stories that they'd been told and were living in and then point them back to something truer and better and more beautiful. And I hope that for us today, and I think for the church in Galatia, as they're hearing these questions with some of the heat behind them, it, it might slow them down. It, it, you know, startle them a little bit and, and slow them down. Where it's kind of like a, hey, let's get your attention. You go, huh, oh, okay. Slow down just a little bit. I had one of those moments this week. It was on a Thursday. I went for an early run. And if you've been reading the news at all, in Prescott, there's all these mountain lions wreaking havoc. And, and so I'm reading Wednesday night and telling Karen about it. And it's like, okay, Game and Fish has killed three out of the four mountain lions. Uh, but there's one out there. And it's kind of at least some of the game cam footage was right by our house. And running in the woods. And I have my dog with me. It's early in the morning. Nobody's out at all. And I hear this like rustling behind me, which usually is a bird or a lizard or something like that. And I look and I just see a creature bounding towards us. And I just, <gasps> and it was a random dog with a GPS collar, no owner anywhere near. And thankfully it like, it left us alone, but it was a startling. And then this like adrenaline dump. And I go, okay, be a little bit more aware because you don't want to die today or wrestle a mountain lion. <laughs> dumb story off the topic a little bit but you get like you gotta get startled and then you're aware that's what Paul was doing with these questions no so this community uh, they were demonstrations of, of this very fact that God had had set this story had made some promises and had really fulfilled them and and what Paul is reminding them and I think us is to to look back and, and remember that and be refreshed by that. Paul in these questions is showing the folly of their, their, their logic and their lives of what they'd been tempted by and then giving them these, these promises and power that God had given them by his spirit. 
You see, God had made promises to redeem a people after the garden, to bless them and make them a blessing in the world. That started in Genesis chapter 12 as he called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees and says, I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. It's one of these key pivotal moments of promise in the Bible that comes seemingly out of nowhere and you go, how is God going to make that happen? Abraham's old. He's got no kids. His wife's old. This on paper isn't meant to work out and you see this slow roll and unfolding of a story of a God who fulfills his promises and the reason Paul goes all the way back to Abraham is to show that this faith has never been rooted merely in morals or belief or a religious system per se the Christian faith that they were called to has always been historical it has a past, it has roots, it has a lineage that you can trace throughout history. God's project to redeem the world started with a family and community that was blessed and called by him to be a blessing in the world. And what Paul is reminding them and us today is that this God keeps his promises. Look at history. Look at the promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he fast forwards to, to Jesus, who was crucified, who sent his spirit, who supplies his spirit to them, who works miracles among them. This God keeps his, prominent, his promise. Their existence then and our existence today is evidence of that. And so Paul is writing them, showing not only what the Spirit does, but what the Spirit signifies. And, and for these people, he's calling them back again to this Old Testament story where God made not only promises to Abraham, but a promise to send his Spirit and pour out his Spirit on all flesh. You can see that in Joel chapter number 2. So yes, the Spirit of God does, and you can look through Scripture, comfort, provide, help, protect. He tells Timothy, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, of a sound mind. So yes, the spirit does all these things, but the spirit also signifies this dawning of a new age where the law is fulfilled and a sacrifice once and for all has been made for God's people. And so his correction to them isn't simply to change their behavior or even their beliefs in and of themselves, that's, that's a higher surface level thing. He's going deeper to remember this story of faith and following after. You see, they were tempted to create a new, different story of the gospel plus religion, plus law, plus circumcision. They started in the spirit, received the spirit, and were tempted to perfect it by their flesh. And so Paul goes to the root of their hearts, of our hearts, and shows a better story. You see, we're all prone like them to go, I got this on my own. I think I get it. The mean, you know, I got this, hold my beer. Watch me do something more impressive, better, whatever. We all have this temptation in our lives. And so Paul is exposing that but then rooting them in something truer and better. And he says that in verse seven, know then. It's a good reminder for me, like 
don't just cast out like or shun or say no but there's always in faith there's a, a no to things that are not of the gospel not of the spirit and there's this compelling yes to something else a better alternative know then this that it is those of the faith who are sons of Abraham I probably talk about this more last week but we uh, take that for granted that we are sons of Abraham and maybe it's simply because of the kids church song father Abraham had many sons many sons had father Abraham I'm one of them so are you let's just praise the Lord right arm why am I shaking my arm and my left leg what does this have to do with Abraham not a whole lot um but what he's showing in all of this is that the question of Genesis 12, when God promises Abraham a family, an inheritance, and a nation, the, the question should be, how is that all going to happen? How is that going to unfold? And Paul is showing the church in Galatia and us, he's tracing it through, that it happens and those promises are fulfilled ultimately in and through faith in Jesus. That brings all the world through Jesus into this story, into this family, only through Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel, that this church in Galatia and we today are invited and welcomed into this family of faith with Yahweh, Jehovah God, is our God and we can be his people. That he would pour out his blessing on us so that we could be a blessing to the nations. Paul leads them home by showing them the story. And for us today, for those that wander in our loss, more likely uh, when, not if, this is how we get home, is we remember the story. It reminds me a bit of the Iliad and Homer's Odyssey and the portion in which uh, Odysseus is heading back, the Battle of Troy is over, and he's heading back home, and he's warned about the songs of the siren. He's on a boat, and he tells all of his men to take beeswax and plug up their ears because the song of the sirens are so beautiful, so compelling that you, you must, you know, you, you go towards them, but in the end, they eat you up, and it's, you know, an island basically full of dead men's bones. And so... The men plug their ears, they set out to sail, but it's interesting because Odysseus wants to hear the song, but he doesn't want to be led astray, so he has them tie him to the mast of the ship. And in one versions of the Odyssey, it, it, it says this is the song that the sirens sing. So Odysseus is hearing the song, his men cannot, and he can't control the ship. But Odysseus, bravest of heroes, draw near to us on our green island. Odysseus will teach you wisdom. We'll give you love sweeter than honey. The songs we sing soothe away sorrow. And in our arms you will be happy. Odysseus, bravest of heroes, the song we sing will bring you peace. But in the end, and they go through their journey, spoiler alert, they don't go to the island. But it tells us something about the temptation of other stories that we honestly often hear. It, it, to me at least, sounds a lot like the garden. Like we'll pump you up. Oh, you're so great. You're so wonderful. You're perfect. Come here. This is where you'll experience life and joy and freedom. And that other story, ah, did God really say? Is it really that good? Is it really that compelling? Have it your way, right? The stories today 
And really the story of the garden is just simply telling us what we want to hear, not necessarily what we need to hear. And when we follow after things that are just for us, we get lost. And so we need to tune into and tune our ears to what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful. And it's Jesus that gives us a better story and a sweeter song and a place to stay. And that is the call for the Christian today, that together we tune our hearts to that song and have that gospel as the center of our lives. And we learn to apply that good news to every single area, that we don't look to move on to do it ourselves, to simply do better, try harder, apply some morals and principles to our lives, but all of our lives flow out from the centrality of Jesus, the power of his spirit at work in us and through us. I read a quote this week from Dick Kaufman who says, Christians think that we are saved by the gospel, but then we grow by applying biblical principles to every area of life. But we are not just saved by the gospel, we grow by applying the gospel to every area of life. And that seems so small and subtle, but it is such a significant difference. To go, I'm saved by Jesus, now I need to do all of these things. And we all have our own kind of inner Christian list and pastors and churches and people of influence that with all of the things you're supposed to do in a given day, week, month, year, right? Is there not a list that we all hold in our head? To be a good Christian, I need to hang in, fill in the blank with what that list is. Now, that's one way to live, but it's not the same as saying that Jesus is the center and I'm going to apply the good news of the gospel to these various areas of life. And it's the gospel, not just simply morals, not just simply shoulds from churches, pastors, influencers, whoever. But it's from the gospel that I'm going to learn to live, to work, to parent, to do this thing called marriage or this thing called singleness. I'm going to apply the gospel and the sacrificial, beautiful love of Jesus to this area. The problem I'm having within family, with a neighbor, with coworkers, I'm going to apply the gospel to that and let the gospel and God's spirit shape me and mold me and change me and transform me to live a certain way. Friends, that is so very different than, well, I need to do this, 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 and this. And that's a good Christian life. Let's not settle for that lesser story. We're all seduced to religion, rebellion, to take the wheel, to perfect in the flesh. And when we're honest, all of our straying starts with a shift in our attention and focus, distancing ourselves from God and his story in scripture and the power of his spirit towards secondary stories. And there's an invitation today to a better alternative. How do we find our way home? It's really a simple is seeing the beauty of Jesus in the scripture by the power of his spirit together with his people. Psalm 19 is one of my favorites by David. Talks first about the glory of God in creation and then he talks about the beauty of God in his word. And he says this, Psalm 19 verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. This is written by a guy who understands the beauty of God shown in the story. 
I don't know if any of you have ever read Leviticus and said the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And part of that is because we have a misunderstanding of the story of God. We have a misunderstanding of how God has revealed himself in his word. And yes, it's difficult and foreign and and dense and and it takes some work to understand. But in God's word, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward." May we see the beauty of God in his story and hold to that and taste that sweetness. How? And I, I understand the irony of me saying earlier, uh, it's not about a list, and now I'm gonna, about to give you a little bit of a list. But, but what I want to place before you is this. If you want to see the beauty of Jesus, yes. Beginning of Psalm 19, you see it in the world. You see it in natural creation. The beauty of God is on display. If you want to see God, you see him in his word. And there's a lot of different ways to go about it. Maybe you're a morning reader, night reader, podcaster, audiobook. It doesn't, the, the method doesn't really matter. But ingest God's word to see the beauty of Christ. His word, Psalm 119 says it's a, it's a, you know, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Get God's word into your heart. See the story of God. And in that, mysteriously and beautifully and wonderfully, God's spirit works within that to compel our hearts to see and savor Jesus. We don't read God's word just simply to get some stuff to do and get some laws and no, we, we get in God's word to see Jesus a bit more clearly in the murkiness and muddiness of life. John 16, 13, Jesus is instructing his disciples before the crucifixion, and he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not only speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit of God works within the people of God to see the Son of God. God's spirit is at work amongst God's people, supplying the power that they need, still working miracles among them so that Jesus might be seen and lifted up and treasured in our hearts and in our lives. And that happens in miraculous ways. He says, the spirit of God, is not the spirit of God the one who works miracles among you? And you go, well, where's the miracle? Well, if you're in Christ... You were once dead, now you're alive. It's the greatest miracle of all. He brings people from death to life, from darkness to light. And he also works in just the mundaneness of our daily lives to lead us and to guide us, to sustain us 
and hold us. And he works through God's people with one another, telling ourselves and each other a better story, a better song. To live centered and rooted and grounded is a part of this family of faith. So then Galatians 3.9, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. May we allow these questions in both Galatians 3 and in Genesis 3 to expose our tendencies and get us back home where we need it. We are and have a tendency to be prone to wander, but the story of Scripture and God's Spirit, together with His saints, may that lead us back home to our Savior and our friend, Jesus. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you that you see us and know us and that you give us the the tools and the power to stay centered and focused on you. And so today, God, I pray that we would be refreshed yet again by the wonder that you are the God who keeps his promises, the promises you made to Abraham all those years ago were fulfilled in Christ. And you're still building and blessing this family. And so we ask that uh, we would remember that and root ourselves in that truth, that we would be hungry for your word and expectant of your spirit to work in us and through us. And so where we're numb, would you reinvigorate us? Where we're angry, would you calm us? Where we're confused, would you clarify? And again, may we just simply taste and see that you, Jesus, are good. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.